Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up, Nets world? We're back here on the Believe in Nets podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for ClutchPoints.com. And we're coming off another Nets win, 124-104 over the Orlando Magic last night at Barclays Center. That brings Brooklyn to 6-5 and five on the season after they also defeated the Washington Wizards Sunday at Barclays. And that comes despite a string of injuries to some of Brooklyn's top players this year, just one after another after another. Going to have some updates on that later on. But the Nets are sitting seventh in the Eastern Conference last night after an impressive win where they led by 15 in the first quarter. They fell behind at the half. They were able to fight back and really tighten the defensive screws late to get this win over Orlando. Going to touch on that quickly before I'm joined by Anthony Puccio of Nets Daily to break down a Ben Simmons injury update, some of what we saw last night, and then also also some overarching themes with the Nets early on in the year. But just touching on last night's win, I think the headlining factor is Spencer Dimwitty with 29 points, 9 assists, 10 of 18 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3. I'm going to touch on Dimwitty later on with Pooch. But a guy who's taken a backseat earlier this year, even with Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas sidelined the Nets' top two ball handlers earlier this year. He still wasn't very featured in his role in their last two games against Boston and against Washington, yet he gets the ball tonight. Jock Vaughn makes a little bit of an adjustment. He hands it to him, and Dinwiddie really displayed everything that he's been able to show throughout his career as a ball handler and facilitator, whether it's driving to the basket, whether it's probing in the pick and roll and facilitating, hitting the shake man rising up or finding rollers on lobs, whether it's pulling up from three when defenders go under screens or aren't respecting his first step in isolation. He did it all, and he was the offensive engine behind this Nets win. I think that's something that we might be able – we might continue to see with Simmons out at least another week and with Cam Thomas sideline for another week by an ankle injury. So nice performance from Dimwitty. We're going to have plenty more about his future, what it means later on in the interview. Moving on from that, though, Cam Johnson, another guy who found his rhythm, missed eight games with a calf strain, returned Friday versus Boston, really had a poor performance in his last two showings, but then was able to break out in this game, had 20 points, 7-11 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, had some really quick trigger, timely corner threes in transition and the half court. Also had three seals in this one, some of the length and versatility defensively. Heard Jock Vaughn say post-game that, he gave Cam a little bit of a longer leash, an extra run against Washington on Sunday, played him, I think, 34 minutes in that game. And that really allowed Cam to get his wind a little bit, get some rhythm back, and really looked like an improved version of himself and a guy who is only going to get better as he gets more reps under his belt because this is only Cam's fourth game of the year. So a really welcome sight for the Nets to see him produce also, Mikhail Bridges had 21 points on 9 of 17 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, had a team-high 4 steals, was really a big factor defensively in this game, and also hit some timely buckets while playing that off-ball role alongside Spencer Dimwitty. So, a good game for Mikhail and a guy who, I think Mikhail was around 4 for 24 from 3 in his last three games leading up to this. So to see him knock down three of five, have an, have an efficient showing, tighten the screws defensively as he has this year, a really positive sign. And then just a few other guys, Dayron Sharp continues to be a competent backup big man for the Nets earlier this season, had 11 points and 10 rebounds, was wreaking havoc on the offensive glass at five offensive boards. Royce O'Neal was four of six from three for 15 points. He had a really poor performance against Boston where I think he was two of 11 from three. Since then, I think he's shooting about 46%, so really positive from him. Lonnie Walker comes in. He's four of nine, three of six from three, pours in 11 points. This feels like 
an insignificant down game almost for Lonnie, and he's giving you double figures on 50% from three. So that just kind of speaks to the level of player that he's been earlier this year. So really positive sign from the Nets. Something I also wanted to touch on is pregame, Jock Vaughn's talking about the Nets defensively, what's holding them back from being a high-level defensive team, the kind of high-level defensive team I think most people expected them to be earlier in the season. He pointed to one area. He said, forcing turnovers. He said, we haven't been able to force turnovers. It's been an emphasis for us with our length, versatility, our athleticism. We haven't been able to do it. He actually said that he was perplexed by their inability to do it. They did it in this game against Orlando. They forced 16 turnovers. I think that led to 26 points off turnovers. They had a season-high 13 steals. They're really digging down on shooters against Orlando, who is, I think, 27th in three-point shooting entering this game. Digging down on shooters, forcing catch-and-shoot looks, trying to create steals while swiping in on drivers, closing those lanes. And Orlando was hot early from three, but they cool off late. They finished around 34%. They attempted 46 which really speaks to the strategy of what the Nets were doing. And the Nets were able to come away with 13 steals, as I said. They have over 30 fast break points, the most that they've had in any game this season with Ben Simmons' sideline. And that's really something that propelled them to victory, along with Spencer Dinwiddie's leadership on the offensive end of the floor. So good win for the Nets. They're over 500. Going to be joined by A. Pooch, Anthony Puccio, after the theme music. Talk about Ben Simmons' injury status and some other interesting themes with the Nets this season. I'm joined now by Anthony Puccio, site manager for Nets Daily and an OG in Nets World. What's up, Pooch? How you doing, my man? Doing good, Eric. Thanks for thanks so much for having me on. Of course, man. So you know we're coming off another Nets win. They're now up to six and five, seventh in the Eastern Conference. They're top fifteen in both offensive rating and defensive rating, despite a slew of injuries. We'll get into all that, but first, we're going to be leading off with some big injury news, and it seems like there's been plenty of injury news too much earlier this year for the Nets, but Ben Simmons, who missed Brooklyn's last four games, will now be out at least another week with a nerve impingement in his back, the Nets announced. You know, is it his hip? Is it his back? No one knows. We're going to get into all that, but just basically for the background for all the listeners, Simmons hurts himself on a play against the Milwaukee Bucks last Monday. He's kind of going up for a floater. He takes it a little awkwardly, comes up limping, finishes the game. Nets say it's hip soreness, that he's out. It's later a hip contusion. Then Simmons' agent, Bernie Lee, leaks before yesterday's game that he's dealing with nerve irritation on the lower left side of his back. The Nets then released a statement, I'd say about a half hour later, that an MRI revealed a nerve impingement in that area, and he will be reevaluated in one week. So, Obviously, a lot to digest there, as there often is with injury reporting surrounding the Nets. Just Pooch wanted to get your just initial reactions on the whole situation. Well, Eric, I think, you know, for those who have been around for the past five, six years, know that Sean Marks and management, they they keep their cards close to their chest, especially when it comes to injuries. You know, again, for people that have been around when it was Karis LeVert, when it was Kyrie Irving, whoever it might have been in the past. Uh, this isn't something new, you know, and, and and that's how they want to run this ship. So when it comes to Ben Simmons, this has been a tricky case for them over the past couple of years because of how injury ridden he's been with this back injury. Now, to your point, you mentioned that he had he, they started with uh, hip hip soreness or hip uh, uh, hip bruise, uh, uh, bruised hip, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. And then it went to a hip contusion. And then yesterday, 
suddenly uh, you know out of out of the blue like you mentioned agent just comes and drops this message that Ben Simmons had gotten an MRI on his back now that, that that's obviously alarming for a lot of reasons uh no matter what the context I'm not I'm not a doctor but uh given his history this is this is a huge impact on this team and a little bit of a surprise I mean even before the game when we spoke to Cam Thomas he didn't know that uh it was a back injury granted that uh the news was relatively surprising. I don't think anybody expected it. Uh, Delivered somewhat abruptly. Yes, and and I don't think that the Nets even had time, given that the agent leaked it first. I don't think that they really had time to tell the locker room or to t- go around and tell the team that it was a back injury, whether that's a priority or not. So, look, with timetables, we know how this team operates. There's no such thing. Um they say that they'll reevaluate and they'll see where he's at in a week. Uh, there was a little bit of optimism, I believe, today that that his agent said that it shouldn't be a long-term injury. But we just have to wait and see because, again, with this organization, we simply don't know. Everything is murky when it comes to injuries, and uh, patience is certainly a virtue. Yeah, and – just building off that, you know, it just seems like with this Nets organization, I mean, I've followed the team for a long time. You've been around the block, obviously. It's just like, it seems like this is how it often goes. Like Simmons has a pretty, you know, he obviously looked a little bit hobbled after that play, but he finished the game and we didn't hear anything about it after the game. Then all of a sudden, right before the next game, he's questionable. Then he's out. Then he's out for three or four games. Now he's going to be reevaluated in a week. And it's like these injuries that it's not out of nowhere because it ha- he has a history of injuries. But this season, at least, it's somewhat out of nowhere. And then also, you know, it was a similar situation with Nick Claxton. Like he hurts his ankle, finishes the game, Cam, uh, Cam Johnson also. Then they're ruled out right before the next game. Then they're out for multiple weeks. So it kind of seems like the reporting surrounding these injuries, obviously every NBA team is going to handle those situations differently. But now this is three significant players earlier on early on this year that are missing extended periods, injuries that kind of cropped up. It wasn't like, you know, they left the game where I'm Claxton did, but the other guys wasn't like they left the game and you knew that they were going to be out for a while. But getting back to, you know, the Bernie Lee Simmons's agent who leaked uh, his update yesterday before the game, I thought that there were some interesting quotes and I'm trying to break down all of this and, you know, it's, it's not inspiring a ton of confidence in terms of the situation being resolved because I just think there's a lot, there's not a lot of clarity. So Simmons was shut down last year. He missed three extended periods in the first half of the year with knee calf and backs. He's forced out at the all-star break. Then he's later shut down due to a nerve impingement, but this nerve impingement was on the right side of his back where he had surgery the prior offseason on his L4 and L5 on bulging discs. But now this is a nerve impingement, the Nets say, on the lower left side of his back. But despite that, his agent says that it's not the same injury or it's nothing like it. This is the full quote, just so there's nothing taken out of context here. This is what he had to say. He's experiencing some nerve irritation issues on the left side of his body, which is going to cause him to miss some time as he rehabs and builds himself back from that. He's not experiencing anything similar to what he's gone through in the past or what he went through last year. And this is something that the the expectation is that with the proper kind of rehab, he'll be able to resume this season in a short period of time without any issue. So a lot to break down there. Just wanted to get your opinion on that quote, because the, the injury, maybe the severity is not the same, but it's the same injury just based off of what they're calling it. But then you have his agent saying that it's not anything similar 
to what he experienced last year. So just wanted to get your take on that because I feel like that's, there could be something lost in translation there. It's, it's sort of reassuring for the naive folks, but again, given his injury history and that the way that the Nets have handled injuries in the past, it's just, I'll believe it when I see it, when he's back on the court and he's back playing physical basketball again, then, then we'll know that he's comfortable. But for right now, Nets fans, the team, uh, even coaches are kind of just managing in limbo. And and Eric, we've discussed, you know, his importance in, in pushing the pace and, and getting these guys out in transition. They did well without him last night in, in doing such. But um, all year long, I think that Jock wanted to ride him as, as that point guard that's going to push and these guys are going to follow and get those open threes. So having to adjust uh, on the fly for Jock, uh, changing different styles, whether it be the transition game, whether it be playing the half court game, everything changes with Ben out. So it's 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 difficult when the team isn't so clear on these injury updates because it kind of leaves reporters like ourselves guessing and and trying to find everything we're reading in between the lines of of what his agent is saying and, and what they're saying and and what players are saying and. Uh, it just kind of it, it gets so murky, like I mentioned earlier. Just um, you know, what what style of ball are these guys going to be playing? When are when are we even going to see Ben back? You know, they say one week, but that that's no guarantee that he's coming back and that he's practicing. That just means we're going to see how he feels in one week. And Eric, if you remember last year, you know he he did an interview maybe this summer and he said that um, he woke up last year at some point and he couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Now, I. I hope that's not the case in this scenario, but we we don't know anything because we don't find out until six, seven months later. So um, I'm I'm not counting any of my chickens. I'm not holding my breath on his return. I, I'm just going to take the information that we're given right now and, and kind of go with that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's interesting the way that you, you know, worded that because when you're talking about a guy like Simmons, you're talking about a nerve issue in his back. I mean, these things can be kind of unpredictable, as we saw last season. And I think that the Nets, as a team, there were reports early on last season that they were getting frustrated with Simmons and his lack of availability early in the year. I said that he was forced out for three separate extended absences in the first half of the year. That's before he was even forced out for the entire season post-All-Star break. We saw Jock Vaughn at certain points last year, was definitely a little exacerbated in press conferences There were a few eye rolls and when clarifying injury status. So when you couple that with the fact of what you said and what Jock said last night of the Nets being nearly two completely different teams with and without Simmons. I mean, Jock said it last night, clear as day with Ben, one of the best transition teams in the league without him, one of the worst with Ben, not a great half court offensive team without him much better. So when you're trying to mesh those styles and you're also, you know, just from the coaching standpoint, also from the players, knowing what kind of, you know, what kind of offense they're going to be playing in. And you add into that these unclear injury timelines, these unclear reportings, the unpredictable, maybe there's nothing they can do about it. Maybe it's just that unpredictable. But I think that it would serve them well to try to be a little bit more clear, you know, even if not with the reporters, just with the players and with the team to know Ben's going to be out this long. This is the deal. This is the severity. 
And, you know, we're going to be playing this style of basketball. We're going to have guys in these kinds of roles because you saw it last night, like Spencer Dinwiddie, a guy who we're going to talk about, took a back seat earlier in the year. Now he comes in, he's handling ball for the most of the game. And to his credit, had the best game of the season last night. But you need guys kind of to know where they're going to be playing, how they're going to be playing to allow them to get into a rhythm. And, you know, I think this works into a larger conversation of where Ben fits in with the Nets because, we're now going on three straight years of, you know, availability issues. I mean, he missed the entire 21-22 season. He got traded to the Nets. We assume that his holdout with the 76ers was, you know, mental health related issues lingering over from that Atlanta series, him not wanting to be there. But then he gets traded. We, is, you know, expect to see him back on the floor, but we're here in combination of back and mental health issues. He's not on the floor. Then, as I said, he plays just half the season last year, and now we're two weeks into the season, and he's already out for a multi-week absence. So if you're building styles and identities around this player and he has this history of availability issues, at a certain point, the Nets are going to need to make a decision of are we building a style around Ben or are we more prioritizing these other guys and really letting them lean into a style where you know they are more comfortable and Ben may just – be a guy who fits in as he comes and goes. Right, right. And I think you hit the nail on the head on, on, on a ton of points. Uh, the one thing that Jacques Vaughn has done very well as a coach, and this goes back to the bubble, was is his ability to adapt. And, and this is something he preached. He even brought a bamboo plant down to the bubble and said we have to be able to adapt. Now, maybe the context were a little bit different, but in this case, you look at last night and – you you have a case where they, they scored 28 fast break points, which is the most they've had all season without Ben. You have Spencer running point, and he has that good balance of being able to score in the half court, get guys involved. They shot 48% from three, which is also a season high. You know, they 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 did everything that their identity, identity had established with Ben at point guard, but uh, you ask yourself how sustainable is that, as you mentioned, right? Without Ben. Um, how and and then with Ben, how often can they keep adjusting to these styles of play? And Eric, we haven't even seen Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons play a game together this year, mm-hmm. so we don't know what that dynamic on offense or defense is going to look like, especially with two non-shooters. Uh, the good thing about this team, again, I think they're well coached, they're very versatile, and this long this long ball that they're playing, this small but long ball, is helping them and and giving them options uh, to adjust to this different type of style of play, whether they want to push, whether they want to play in the half court, or they want to do a little bit of both. Now we saw that last night again against the magic, but how sustainable is that without a dynamic player like Ben Simmons, who is so unique. You heard Cam Johnson on the run your race podcast with Theo Pinson say like, you don't get to play with a guy like Ben very often because he's so unique. He opens up so many different scoring avenues for everybody else, just because of how fast and explosive he is getting it, getting out on transition. But like you said, to your point, if he's in and out of the lineup, how sustainable, how reliable, how consistent can this team be from a coaching perspective and just from a personnel perspective, how sustainable is this uh, when you're trying to be a serious basketball team? So far, they've shown that they, they are capable of adapting, but is last night an anomaly? Well, you know, we'll, ha- we'll have to find out over the next next couple of weeks or next week, depending on when Ben comes back. Yeah, and I, I think 
part of their ability to adapt, I would say, is a testament to Sean Marks and what he did this offseason, the depth he's been able to build at this roster. Because we've seen not just with Simmons's injury, but with, you know, Cam Thomas, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, all those guys out of the lineup. The Nets are a legit, you know, 12, 13, 14 deep, and they have guys who can be inserted into this lineup and play versatile roles based on what's needed of them. You spoke about, you know, Cam Johnson and what he said about Simmons's transition ability. That's not exaggerated at all. The Nets, you know, prior to last night with Simmons, Nets were the second best transition team in the league. Without him, I think they were 23rd. So there's a huge drop off there. He's adding... 4.5 points per 100 possessions in transition this season. That's ranked in the 94th percentile among all NBA players. So there's a clear value there. But as you said, you know, how sustainable is the offense, things that they're able to do without a guy like Ben Simmons, who's able to create those easy opportunities. And I think that this is a nice segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk about is who is going to be that guy who's able to set up teammates, who's able to push the ball, who's able to be that kind of table setter for the Nets. And, you know, Not ironically, but maybe surprisingly to some Nets fans, because it's a guy that I think was somewhat of an afterthought this offseason and into their future plans, is Spencer Dimwitty. And we saw Spencer Dimwitty last night against the Magic kind of had, you know, an odd role early this season, has been on and off the ball because Simmons is pushing and, you know, dominating the ball handling and transition. Cam Thomas is breaking out as one of the league's top scorers in the half court. So Dimwitty's kind of in limbo. But then even after Simmons and Thomas go out, Sunday in Washington, the one of the ugliest basketball games I think I've ever watched in my life. You know, Dinwiddie down the stretch of the game with those two guys out, he's their best ball handler, but he's off the ball. Mikhail Bridges is dominating it. Nets are struggling a little bit. Dinwiddie's pretty uninvolved. Then he gets the reins last night. He puts up 29 points, nine assists, 10 of 18 from the field, five of 10 from three. And, you know, talking about that inconsistent role before last night, Dinwiddie was taking 8.4 shots per game. That's over five less than last season. He's posting as low as usage since 2020, 2021. So there was an inconsistent role there and he finally got the ball last night and he was finally able to, you know, kind of bring that three level scoring, bring that facilitation to the table that honestly few other guys on the Nets roster have right now. So I think it's an interesting conversation of where we're going into the future with Dinwiddie because he's 30 years old. While the Nets are a young roster, I don't think they're as young as some people think. They're, you know, in the 26 to 30 range, most of their players. And if you take away Dinwiddie from this roster, there really isn't a guy on the roster who can give you that blend of half-court scoring and facilitation the way that he can. Because Cam Thomas is an elite scorer in the half-court. He's not a very high-level facilitator. Ben Simmons in the half court. We literally just heard Jacques Vaughn say that the Nets are worse in the half court with Ben Simmons. A big part of that is he can't shoot, obviously, at all. And that takes away his ability to run pick and roll as a ball handler. That takes away his ability to really create for his teammates in the half court if he's not going to be willing to shoot. And he's not willing to shoot right now. This season, his per 36 averages, he's taking less shots than he did last year, which I didn't even think was possible, to be honest. But he is. He's been to the free throw line twice through – uh, six or seven games or however many he's played. So Dinwiddie brings a skill set that not many other players on this team have right now. And I think it's an interesting thought of where does he go moving forward with this team in the contra- in a contract year, especially with Simmons's unreliability. So from an injury standpoint. So wanted to get your take on what we saw from him last night and feelings about him potentially into the future with Brooklyn. Yeah, well, I think last night you get a hint into what we've seen before as as Nets reporters, as Nets fans, uh, who he was 2018, 2019, somebody that 
can go get you a bucket, like you said, balance balance the offense, whether it be pushing the ball or or slowing things down in the half court. Now, coming into the season when they announced that he would be starting at the two, I think I I wasn't a big fan of it. I, I know they were probably trying to turn him into an isolation threat for those half court sets, but um now he has to do a little bit of both. And the question is consistency. Again, can he do this night in and night out? Now, again, we've gotten a glimpse into Dimwitty's past and, and who he's capable of being, uh, especially as a bucket. Like he he can get you clutch buckets down the stretch. We saw it last night, saw it against Washington a little bit, but the the question with the consistency part that I mentioned, Eric, is that again we run into this problem where we we don't know what his role is when these guys come back. Now they could play good basketball with him at starting point, but what happens when Ben comes back? Right? He, then he slides to the two. Well, then Cam Thomas is back, and I think that Cam's explosion has completely thrown Dimwitty into a limbo. So that what happens when they're playing good basketball? If they play good basketball with him at point and playing both sides of of how Jock wants to play that balance that he keeps mentioning, like 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 you said, I I don't know. I don't know what his future is. Is is he a backup point guard on this team? Because you guys you got you got guys like Lonnie Walker that are coming off the bench now, controlling the ball, and are becoming automatic buckets. I mean, it's really really hard to get a grasp on where Dinwiddie's fit is with this team with with Ben on the floor. I think we have a good idea of what it is without Ben on the floor. But again, th- this is the problem. We don't know what that identity, like their identity is just going to keep changing because Spencer Dinwiddie is such a different point guard than Ben Simmons. And he's a different player than Cam Thomas. So you ask yourself, where does he fit in that balance? And I don't think that he fits at the two next to Ben. I think it worked in Dallas next to Luka Doncic, but I don't think it works with Ben and especially not with Cam. Uh, going off as as who he is now if if, if Spence could kind of accept that six man role and 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 control the tempo control the pace for that second unit I think he's great here but if he's somebody that wants a bigger role that wants to be a starting point guard that wants the ball in his hands I'm not quite sure this is the team for it mm. yeah I I I think that that last point is very key because we're talking about ball handlers on the nets right now we're talking about really three main guys. It's Simmons, it's Cam Thomas, it's Spencer Dinwiddie. All three, like you said, who bring different things to the table. And I think it's pretty clear, and I agree with you, as you said, that Simmons' best, uh, Dinwiddie's best fit is not next to Simmons. And I think that if you're looking between Dinwiddie and Thomas, the player that fits much better next to Simmons is a guy like Cam Thomas, just because of his ability to be an elite shot creator, a guy who can complement Simmons's transition ball handling and facilitation with his own half court scoring a, an area that we heard Jock Vaughn say is a weakness of Simmons's game last night. So the best role for Spencer would be that six man off the bench, that kind of guy who can lead the second unit, that guy who can be that facilitator who can really provide not much of a drop-off and give the Nets the elite bench that they had early on this year. I mean, Dinwiddie, he said it last night. He said a lot of things about his strengths last night in the post-game press conference. But he said, I think I have the highest net rating on the team right now. And he does. And a large portion of that is because he had been playing against bench players, you know, a decent amount, but also because he's such a good player against those bench units. So I think it gets into interesting conversation 
of Spencer's future with this team. Because early on this year, like I said, Spencer's in an off-ball role. He's not really playing that much. He's taking five less shots per game, over five less than he did last year. And he's in a contract year. And this is a guy who's 30 years old. This is probably going to be his last significant contract, I would say. And I think that that reality has been reflected in his mood because Spencer has not been, you know, you have a lot more experience, I would say, than me with his personality, but he hasn't been the most jovial early this year, to put no. it. He he hasn't exactly looked, you know, happy with this role. Not that he's been causing any problems to his credit. I think he's been saying, you know, this team is, you know, these guys are leading this team. I'll fit in however I want. He's been a team player to his credit. That doesn't mean he has to be happy about it. And he had a quote last night that I thought was really interesting when he was asked about the Nets' depth, the Nets' resilience, their ability to overcome injuries, and he said, oh, I think it has a lot to do with the Twins. Um, obviously, uh, they're, they're a part of the Brooklyn Nets' core going forward, um, and so we kind of go as they go. Um, obviously, we're missing, you know, Cam Thomas, who's big-time scorer, um, and I think Lonnie is uh, in the six-man-of-the-year type of uh, uh, category, so, you know, that's four very dynamic players um and then along with like Ben and Nick I think uh, the Brooklyn Nets have uh, a strong core going forward and you know as long as you can get the majority of those guys out there then we have a shot to win this is not the first quote that Spencer has given like this he has given like this you know he gave quotes like this at his exit interview at his intro pressure at points early in the year and now and he's talking about the core all these guys who fit in their youth their energy the guy who's never mentioned in this is Spencer by himself. So I think that, you know, I'm not putting words in Spencer's mouth, but I think it's it's an interesting thing to read into of his feelings in a contract year about where he might be heading. And, you know, Spencer is a guy that I think a lot of Nets fans, for some reason, they're not very high on. I'm not sure with all that he's done for the franchise and the ability that he's been able to produce at. He was a huge part of that 18-19 team. He's a guy that... You know, has produced beyond expectations, I think, at every point that he's been here last year after coming to the team. He was, I think, fifth in the league at assists at over nine per game. And he's a guy that has a very valuable skill set because, like I said, you know, if Ben Simmons isn't going to be reliable for this team and then you move on from Spencer Dimwitty after this year, who is that table setter? Who is that half-court guy who's going to be able to score and be able to facilitate, be able to set other guys up? Because, you know, it's not Ben Simmons in the half-court, especially if he's not on the floor. We've seen it's not Cam Thomas. I mean, he has room to grow, but he's not, he's more of a micro, not microwave, but uh, elite scoring combo guard as opposed to a table setter. Mikael Bridges is ball handling, you know, not a strength of his game right now. Neither is Cam Johnson. So, you know, a lot of Nets fans are easy, eager to turn the page on Spencer, but I think that there's just, there's an underappreciation for that skill and what he brings to the table. So a little bit long-winded there, but just, you know, your opinion on that quote, the contract situation, potential future and how his skill set could play into that with what we have on the Nets roster right now. Yeah. I, I, again, I agree with a lot of the points you're making. I think it's, it's twofold, right? You, you mentioned how Ben and his injury past, it, it makes him unreliable. He's, he's not available enough for you to fully put all of your stock into this guy for a full year run for an 82 game schedule. Plus hopefully playoffs for this team. Right. So you have, as you mentioned, this this very solid, culture-oriented guy that's that's been around the block in Brooklyn, nonetheless, who's very respected by the front office, who's seen as, as a bit of a veteran leader in this locker room. 
he's he is the perfect backup and the perfect insurance if this Ben Simmons thing doesn't work out at point guard. But then, like that, like you mentioned, there's that part of Dinwiddie where he he's he's kind of coming across as as very he's not jubilant. He's not he's he's he sounds a little bit more humble and he sounds like he's crediting other guys while giving him like almost justifying his own game at the yeah. same time and letting people know that he's still capable of doing these things when he had yeah. the rock in his hand. Yeah, he had he had another quote last night that I think is perfect to insert right here. He said, statistically speaking, given my effectiveness throughout my career in both isolation and pick and roll, it kind of makes me one of the better offensive engines to have put on this jersey, especially in the half court. And then after that, he went on to say, you know, with that being said, you have to fit in or whatever. But it's kind of his way, his way of saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm a high level player for this franchise. I can do things in the half court offensively, and I haven't had that role early on. So I think that that's a you know a large point of him not being jubilant, as I think you put it. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, go on though. And and no, and 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 to that quote, you know, he he isn't wrong. He and and it, you know, again, it, like you 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 look at it twofold. You could look at him as insurance, but he doesn't want to be insurance. He wants to be a focal focal point of an offense which he's very much capable of doing so in a contract year as you mentioned then you look at that other side if the nets are going to put all their chips into into ben simmons and and cam thomas nonetheless who yeah again dimwitty is taking a back seat to in that half court isolation offense um you know we have to we have to consider what his future looks like here because he's gonna you know come trade deadline he might be looking around and his usage rate and his, his, his field goal attempts per game, as you mentioned, or, you know, if they're down, uh, it's a trade piece for the Nets because you get an expiring contract off. And for him, maybe he could find a home that, that could use him, especially as injuries pile up throughout the year and teams, teams are going to need point guards. Now for the Nets, it's, it's probably a good problem to have Eric, just like knowing that you have that depth and knowing that you have that point guard coming off the bench, should you need it. But uh, they're going to run into problems when they get healthy because it's almost like an embarrassment of riches and too many guys that do need the rock in their hands. So this is a situation that we have to monitor, as you mentioned, and and, and I think that it'll really be telling when, when both Cam and Ben come back, uh, not just one of the two, but both. How, where, where does he fit on this team? And can his ego, can his pride kind of let him be a six-man? Can he be someone that comes off a bench on a team that, he feels like he's probably better and more effective starting than Cam Thomas and then Ben Simmons. It's for sure something to monitor as the season progresses and we get closer to that trade line. Last thing I wanted to touch on from you, we're 11 games into the season. Nets obviously have had a ton of moving pieces and are still, still have a winning record, you know, to their credit, to Jock Vaughn and the coaching staff's credit. Yeah. Just what has been one surprise or one thing that really – has taken you, you know, by surprise early on in this year? I think there are so many things we could name. And I think that rebounding and and just simply like even the fast break points that we keep touching on, like I don't think anybody expected this team to be so fast. Maybe some, but I certainly didn't expect them to be averaging 23 and a half points in transition uh, heading into last night. But with that being said, uh, my my biggest surprise right now is – seeing how bought into how bought into this culture and this team into the coaching staff that these players are right Sean Marks to your point earlier has has had a fantastic offseason and I didn't I liked it 
as marginal moves, but you see that these guys, it's it's next man up mentality, and that's that's not just some talk. That is the real deal. I mean, we had a game where uh, Armani Brooks had 18 points. Trenton Wadford is coming in. You know, guys that are spending time in Long Island, you know, right next door to me over here going and, and going same day right to Brooklyn and, and, and contributing. You know, you have guys like Lonnie Walker, uh, you know, needless to say, Cam Thomas, right? Uh, it's just kind of it's, – it's astounding and and – a sense remarkable that they're six and five given the injuries that they had. I don't think anyone expected them to be six and five, even healthy. But the mm-hmm. fact that you see these guys coming in and out and them having to adjust to this style of play and a new name emerges, you just, you just never know what night it's going to be. Everybody kind of came into the season and said, Mikhail Bridges, he's going to be their top guy. Cam Johnson, he's going to be one of their top guys just signed a big contract. But no, it's someone new every single night. Eric, you could throw a name out at me, a random name out for tomorrow night, and I wouldn't be surprised if they scored twenty. And 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 that's what's what's got me so excited and 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 yes, surprised about this team is just their ability to adapt and and knowing that on any given night they're ready to go. And 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 I don't know who it's going to be, but that's kind of the fun part in in, in a in a team oriented culture is that. Uh, you build this uh, from from day one. You build this from scratch, and it takes a lot of work. It takes a group that likes each other, that buys into the coaching staff. After a couple of years of of superstar culture and, and somewhat selfish basketball, you could put it, um, it's going to be selfish basketball when it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing, but uh, for better or worse. But it's a breath of fresh air now that you have this culture that – like you mentioned, 12, 13 guys that that are capable of stepping on that court and making a huge impact and getting you a W. You know, they're not beating bad. They're not just beating up on bad teams. You know, they've played some solid teams and, and gotten away with some. So to shorten up my point, I, I think that the biggest surprise to me are some of the intangible things. Being able, seeing these guys being able to buy into what Jock Vaughn is is preaching and, and, and seeing that come to fruition on the court. It's It's been a sight to behold. And again, We'll see if it continues, but right now it's been fun. I think there's, and there's a few factors, you know, playing into that. And I think Nets fans, you know, understandably so going from the 18, 19 team to the KD Kyrie era, having a hypothetical taste of championships aspirations, then going back to the culture talk. Some of them are like, we don't want to hear about culture. You know, it's culture, culture, culture. Like I tweeted out the Migos song last year after KD and Kyrie got traded because it seemed like every press conference you were hearing that, but there's something to be said about the way that the Nets approaches this offseason, the depth that Sean Marks has built, and something that Spencer Dimwitty and Ben Simmons both said before the year is that having guys who have a chip on their shoulder, something to prove, and that might come off as cliche, but I think it's showing up early in this season of they have a lot of players who either aren't established or are somewhat established but have a lot more to prove, and they have plenty of those guys. And that's showing up early in this year with the way the effort that they play with on a nightly basis, their ability to overcome adversity with injuries, with some of the teams that they've been playing. And I think that, you know, I thought that that, along with their – I was pretty high on them defensively entering the season. I thought that that was going to give them a high floor of where they could be in the regular season because they might not be a team that's going to make a deep playoff run, but you look at some of the best teams in the NBA, there's a lot of teams that take nights off in the regular season, and this Nets team is a team that's not built to do that. They know that. 
They know individually and collectively they're not built to do that. A lot of guys playing for contracts, a lot of guys playing for accolades that they've never had before. So I think when you couple that with the fact that a lot of these guys have a lot of talent, that it makes for a product that, you know, has somewhat of a high floor and is also exciting, you know, for fans. And I do think that this is an interesting conversation because the Nets aren't, you know, anywhere near the title conversation, I would say this season, but I think you have a lot of fans that are having a better time right now than they were the last couple of years. And some people, you know, that might be blasphemy to some people because they would say, I'd always rather be, you know, in the title conversation versus just like the fun scrappy team as the Nets have been in 18, 19 and this season, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I do think that it's a real interesting conversation of balancing those two things because the Nets are six and five right now. And they play good basketball. They play a brand of basketball that's fun, that's conducive to a team effort that has been successful so far. So I think it's a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. And I think in today's NBA, Eric, I think 50% of the battle is, is simply outworking teams with team basketball. You know, there's a lot of guys that, that go out there, they made their money and they're, you know, I'm not sure they're giving it their 100%. And, and we see that with load management and things like that. The other 50% is just simply ep- executing. Right. And, and the Brooklyn Nets are shown right now early in the season, maybe with the exclusion of, of a couple of those Boston games, that they are capable of doing both of those things. Now, when you look at the KD teams and all that, uh, we talk about a team that's in the championship conversation and rightfully so based off of talent. But it's also a team that only won one playoffs uh, playoff series. Right. So you ask yourself what style of ball and, and you look at the landscape of, of the NBA. Uh, what's what's winning right now? And and right now it's not super teams. It's it's team basketball with that sprinkle of yes, one two stars uh, that can kind of balance that out. So I think that the Nets they really might be missing one or two pieces at at, at most uh, from being back in that relevant conversation. But for right now, it's one step at a time. Um, it's almost like they're they're in the healing process, but the healing process is going very well uh, and and very fast. It's accelerated because of the people and the foundation that they've put in place. So they have, they have to, they still have to preach pa- uh, patience to get back into that conversation, but I think they're really knocking on the door. Pooch well said. And I think a good way to leave off with this episode, you know, really appreciate you coming on and OG who has been here since I think probably the first year of the Brooklyn era and well back into the Jersey days, you know, tell everybody where they can find your work. Shoot me a message or a comment on Twitter at a pooch. Uh, my, my written work, my editorial work is at Nets Daily. So always happy to talk. Appreciate you for coming on, man. I'm sure I'll have you on recurring throughout the rest of the season. And hopefully we see some competitive Nets basketball moving forward. Appreciate you, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. And that does it for this episode of Believe in Nets on the Believe Podcast Network your one-stop shop for everything happening across the sports and entertainment world. You guys can subscribe to this podcast on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, smash the like button, hit a review if you like what you heard today. Really appreciate it. That goes a long way. I'm your host, Eric Slater, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter for clutchpoints.com. You can find all of my work on clutchpoints.com. Also, constant news updates analysis on my Twitter at Eric Slater underscore. Nets have a winnable five-game stretch coming up. Hopefully, we see some good basketball and I'll have plenty of more coverage soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.